Hello, humans, and welcome to The Vine Down with Emily Smith. It's me. Hi, I'm Emily Smith. Uh, we are here to uh, for a weekly show where we cover a number of topics in higher education, ranging from the show we did last week where we talked about difficult conversations, uh, and now this week where we're joined by the excellent Boyd Bradshaw for our inaugural Higher Ed Leader Series. And we're here to do two things. Number one, I want to make sure that we get to know Boyd the human, because that's what we do. Um, and I really want the audience to hear from, like candidly from an enrollment leader um, to get insight about him as a person, because we're certainly in a world where we have to bring our whole selves into this work and our work can only really be functional and uh, done well when we can do that. And I also want to dig into this topic of application generation and some of the frameworks and wisdom that um, Boyd has in his big old brain about how to drive high quality applications with like a really fine focus on not just driving up crap numbers and hear from Boyd about the metrics he watches and generally dig into how he organizes the behaviors of his team in order to achieve goals and make things function really well. So Boyd, welcome to the show. Well, it's great to be here and I'm it's happy to be the first for this series. You are the first. You are the first. Well, you you very clearly, someone said to you, like when we met a couple weeks ago, someone said around you, like, oh, this is Emily. Like she has a show. And you very clearly said, like, I want to be on the show. And I was like, okay, let's do that. So thank you for very clearly stating your preference to be on the show. And now here you are, you've manifested it. You are on the show and it's happening. So thank you. Um, so if you haven't met me yet, uh, audience, I'm Emily I am. I head up uh, partner success at College Vine, and I've been in this space for 20 years across four different companies serving higher ed. Um, I reckon I've worked with about 500 admissions offices, ranging from doing work with them on student search, uh, enrollment consulting, process management, CRM implementations and untangling, um, and lead generation in general. And I'm here with Boyd Bradshaw, who is the v vice president of enrollment management at Towson. Um, and Boyd, too, is a lifer in the space um, across six different institutions. Boyd is in his inaugural stint in the Mid-Atlantic, and I'm kind of curious culturally, like after this long career of some larger institutions in the Midwest, um, from Valparaiso to um, IUPUI um, to SLU, um, just how it strikes you to be to be in the Midwest, or how to, it strikes you to be in the Mid-Atlantic states. Um, Boyd is also an orange theory and group fitness enthusiast, so we know he's competitive. Um, but I suppose he gets his rage out each morning as he does his exercise. Boy, did you work out this morning? Not today, because I was preparing for this, Emily. See, my priorities. <laughs> so you like bottled the intensity and took it. Okay, I love that. Um, I'm, we could... I'm working out right after this, though. So. Oh, good. Okay. Well, we could end the show with like a light warm up so that you're ready for your for your exercise. That'd be cool. Um, so Boyd, I'd love for this audience to get to know you, and I'd love to spend about 10 minutes talking with you about some of the uh, things that feel important to you, the human. And I am curious if you will share with us three key lessons you've learned in your career that feel important for this group to know. I would say, you know, you've, you've mentioned the number of institutions first that I've, I've been at. And, you know, I can't believe when I look back, it's been like 25 years of work in the profession and you do learn a lot and you learn a lot later. You like, mm. make mistakes too, you know, as you work through the process. And there's a couple of things, particularly if you think about this time of the year and the work that we do uh, in admissions, you know, many of us are coming off the road. Many of us are, are reviewing files, you know, important deadlines have just passed. 
And so, you know, one of the things that I've learned is you really forgot to be in the moment and, tr and take a step back and pause and realize all the good work that you've done to this point, whether you're up in applications, whether you're down in applications, you know, you're making a difference and you're making a difference in students' lives. And so, you know, I really tried to make sure that, you know, there's time ahead of us. I mean, the other thing about this time there, everybody's trying to get their vacation time in so they don't lose mm. it before the holidays and, you know, really to make sure that staff understand that's okay. You can take time off and, you know, the world doesn't stop, but, you know, we can stop for a while and really look at our work. I think that's one thing I've learned is to show that care, that empathy uh, for the staff because it's worth deserved. The other thing is, you know, we're trying a lot of different things in our world. You know, we have a lot of challenges out there in the work that we do and we have a lot of new energy and new strategies, uh, things that we're trying. You can't just do it one time and be done. And so one of the things I've learned with my team, if you try it, it doesn't work the first year, you got to try it again. You have to have like a three year rule uh, when it comes to new strategies. And that is something that has really worked well, because many times you're, you're learning through the first year of that work uh, to really make those changes that are needed for the second year. So when you try new things, you got you to keep at it. And that's something that I've learned also through the process. And probably the third thing, and I'm better at this today than I was before. You can't do everything yourself. That uh, seems false. I'm trying to do that. Why not? Tell me more. Tell me more. Well, you got to have some sanity. You got to mm. have some time in life to do other things, like to work out, like what we talked about. But also, um, you know, our work is so important. You know, we just think about it. We are impacting students' lives into the mm -hmm. future. And we really need a good team to help us do that. And I, and I think that, um, you know, many of us that grow in the profession, we try to do everything, but you get to a certain point where you just realize that you're not the expert in everything anymore. It's hard for us to kind of accept that. You know, I grew up in admissions and many of us do, but I am not the financial aid expert. You know, I can, I can help on a financial aid strategy, but I am not the expert. I can't do it all. And that's just one example. So that's like a bit of sort of humility and also delegation for operational efficiency, because you brought like you can't if we're talking about you can't do it all. You're saying like I might not be the expert and it may not make sense for me to do everything. Um, and in that there's like a very human element of like care of yourself, but also sort of recognizing in your team who is going to do that work more effectively, more efficiently. And I think delegation is a skill as work flows down through an organization where like you're as a leader trying to look for the places where work can be done. I mean, maybe the rudest reading of this is like where work can be done the most cheaply. And like, that's not always going to be you because you don't know financial aid. So it's going to take you a long time to like dither around and figure that out. Or, you know, something might not be appropriate for you as an executive. Like one of the things I see in our partnerships is something that always worries me if I'm doing uh, like in my CRM with my CRM hat on in a previous company, I would sometimes see a, a VP of enrollment who was like, well, I'm the VP of enrollment, but I'm also the CRM admin. And I'd be like, okay, are you hearing that? Like, I am hearing how screwed up that is. Like, that's not an appropriate role for you. Like, what are we going to do about that? Not saying you can't do it. I'm just saying it's not smart for you to be in that role. Um, and boy, the other things you shared about like sort of care of your human team and the three, the rule of three, which is like you have to keep trying things before you know that they fail. I'm actually really curious to dig into the rule of three thing. What if something failed enormously right away? Would you push your staff to just repeat it or would you push them to tweak it before they repeated it? 
I, we would tweak it. And we have a real live example we're working with, uh, with a scholarship strategy for out-of-state students. We needed to hit a certain number. And we could tell throughout the entire year that we weren't trending in the right direction to get that number. Because really mm. what we're looking for is that return on investment that will actually support that program financially to, you know, and we, in, in the work that we do, we want to invest back into our students and, you know, financial aid is a good way for students to be able to not only afford college, but to graduate. And I think that, you know, what we learned is that we had the market wrong. We, we thought we could draw students in, in a certain market at a certain price point uh-huh. and we didn't. And we had to cover those dollars. The smart thing that we did going into it, we had a backup plan. And so I think any good strategy has a B plan as you're planning the A plan. I think that is one of the most important things because not every strategy is going to work. We initiated the B plan and we went back to the drawing board and we're getting ready to launch a strategy in year two. And I think it's going to be successful. And we're already seeing early signs of that. And again, it wasn't making a big change. It was just looking at some adjustments throughout you know, the strategy itself in order to be successful. Gotcha. So you're sort of retaining that, like, don't always be so fast to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. I get that. Okay. All right. So the next set of questions I want to ask you are about like, uh, we like to cover some like doom and gloom stuff on this show. Um, what in your mind are some of the biggest or like scariest problems in enrollment right now? If you, if you would ask my staff, they would tell you everything. Because oh, like the sky is falling, like the sky is falling, and yeah. what are we going to do about it? And I, I think you know, fr- from the work that we do, and, and since we're, we are focused a little bit more on admissions, it's it's the time of the year. Are we up, mm-hmm. or are we down, and are we going to meet goal? And I think the scariest thing for me is I, I, I wake up every day. Are we staying on track from the day before? Are we continuing to keep that momentum? Right now, we're fortunate we're up at Towson University. We're excited about that. But with that, again, everyone gets excited. What if two weeks from now, we start going the other direction? And so that really makes me nervous is that even though you could have a positive point that you're looking at, you could start going a little bit further south uh, in regards to, you know, and then what are you going to do? You know, and that's something that's that's really, really important to know about this point in time. So it's a, I'm hearing from you and tell me if I'm wrong, but I'm hearing this perspective on measuring and then making meaning and then measuring and then making meaning. Like, where are we and what does it mean? Right. And I'm quick side question before I ask you, like, what you're going to do about that problem, because that's the next question. Like, OK, cool. What are you doing about it? Um, do you feel like the perspective of or importance of making data-driven behaviors has changed a lot or a little over the course of your career? It's changed a lot. And I used the baseball analogy. I'm a big baseball fan. Actually, we were talking about baseball before this. And, you know, there's not as many scouts out there today as there has been in prior years. You know, they're using data. And Mm -hmm. I think a lot of us in the work that we do, we can say we're data driven. I mean, we sit on tons of data. Sure. You sit on tons of data uh, in the work that you do. Mm-hmm. If you're not data informed. You can be data driven, but being data informed and using that data to make decisions. I think it's so more important today than it ever has been in the work that we do. Uh, yeah. There's so many 
risk at hand, you know, and we don't want to go any different in a wrong direction. And so, you know, that that three year rule is really important because you're you're collecting data as you go through it, you're evaluating it and you're tweaking based on what that data is telling you. So it's really data and information more so than anything else. Yeah, I actually really like that you drew that line. I I tend to like cringe a little bit when someone says that they are like really data driven in their behaviors rather than I really have a strong preference for the phrase data informed because it's it's a kinder way to talk about how it how like data can inform and um, change behavior more right. than like just lead you because I do think that there is sort of the the intuitive element as well right? Which is like the old school baseball scout who's like sitting and watching and going like, I have a feeling about this player. And that feeling may be based on something real empirical or data driven, or it may just be based on like, they like his shirt, right? So being data informed allows for that sort of intuitive and human element to remain present while the data can be the organizing framework. Okay. So if the biggest and scariest problem is like knowing your numbers and then making correct meaning out of where you are, like, what are you doing about it so that you don't just continue like waking up scared? So I'm going to I'm going to go off of this, the point that we're up because we could be down and I can talk mm -hmm. about it or down. But you do the same thing if you're up or if you're down. First of all, you don't panic and you you sit back and you, and you, you think about, again, we've gotten to this point. And so maybe the volume is not where it needs to be or the volume and sometimes as universities we don't want too many students we don't have enough mm, yeah students, for example yeah. so one thing that we do and first thing that i do is i get on the online with my colleagues to find out where they're at you know are they seeing similar trends that we're seeing at towson university particularly in the state of maryland because if every university in maryland is up we know that there's more college going students and or students applying to multiple universities. And so trying to get a handle on that behavior and what we're seeing at this point in time will, will let us know how soft or how solid our, our pool is. And so I do rely on my colleagues as long as they're honest with That's me. just going to ask you, when do you reach for like, because you're new to Maryland, you're, you're new right. to, this is not where your crew is. And I know some of your crew, like yeah. when do you reach for like the people you came up with in enrollment management? versus like, uh, okay, I got to like engage the frenemies in the state. Like, what's your thinking there? When do you do either? Well, I have my go-to list, you know, those those colleagues that I know are connected to other colleagues, you know, my ties are in the Midwest. And so, yeah. you know, I can, I can go back to the Midwest and, and ask colleagues, you know, 24 seven, you know, and I'll get honest answers here. I don't know. I right. play, I play like the new guy piece where, you know, I really don't, right. you know, and, and I, I go, you know, I'm willing to share our information if you're willing to share yours and, mm -hmm. you know, and transparent. And, you know, that is something that I think that's that's really important. So that's kind of how I, I work it. Um, we're all in this together. I put the enrollment management head on, too, is our goal in the state of Maryland is to enroll and graduate students so they can mm -hmm. be successful. And so we're all in this together. And, um, you know, that that's something that, that's really important. The other thing that I really try to do is, you know, Students come into our institution in various ways. They can come in at the top of the funnel. They can come in as an applicant. You know this best because this is a work that that you do. Yep. Is really evaluating your conversion rates and where students are in your funnel. Mm -hmm. Do you need to go out and buy more names, for example, or do you actually have what you need in your pool? You could be down, but 
you know you have a stronger pool because you have students that are showing more engagement. Their journey is different. You know, they're doing the things that you want them to do. Mm -hmm. So you've got to really sit back and do a total evaluation of your pool. And that is something that we try to do it at each stage of the funnel because of the different ways students are coming in. And you know what makes me really nervous, Emily? You asked me, me the first question. We don't control anything except that admission decision. Think about it. All this work, time and energy, we can admit a student because we make that decision, but everything else is that student's decision. That is mm -hmm. kind of scary when you think about it. Yeah, but also like so important to remember as people in our relationships and our friendships and our work with our colleagues, like you can only control yourself. Like the, your, our scope of control and our scope of our scope of control is very small. Our scope of influence might be very large, but you're right. Like I think knowing that is like a core truth that we can only control this one decision about the student. So that makes sense to me why you would approach sort of that big, scary problem of like, where are we? And what, are, what is the meaning that we're going to make to it? you're sharing a lot about sort of like good communication with your team, managing your own energy in a certain way, um, getting really good answers from colleagues and your own data. How will you know if those things are working effectively against solving that problem? Like before you don't do or don't make your class. That's actually the, the thing I'll be uh, curious to hear you say, yeah. because I think a lot of times we'll say, like we say in enrollment, like, well, we'll know if we made our class or not. And I kind of want to call bullshit on that answer because like, it's too late. Like if you haven't made it, then you haven't made it. And like, okay, we'll just try again. But like, that's, I guess the, the way I want you to answer that question is how will you know if you're, if that's working before it's too late? I, th I think if you, if you have a plan that you're executing, you know, that plan can go in, in various directions. And I think it's the preparedness in advance. So I'm going to kind of go ahead of it. And you know, if you hit this point and you believe you're not going to make your class, you know, you can pivot. And it's really how much are you going to pivot, but be prepared to do that. I think many times we go into it, we do everything we can. We get up to the point and we look at that number at the deadline and, oh my gosh, we're not going to make it. What are we going to do? Oh gosh, we have to go out and do these things. We need more money. We need to get back what on the levers. Do we pull? Yeah. You, you, you're, you're already uh, calculating what that might be. So that's one thing is being prepared. But the second of all, each day after your deadline. And again, I can use the Towson example. I've been, Towson is an early action school. Rolling admissions is, is been tens have been in the schools I've been at where we admit up through, you know, May 1st through the start of semester. But there's, you know, there's a lot of students that apply between say November 15th and February 1st. Mm -hmm. and then another pocket that apply between February 1st and uh, May 1st. One thing that we look at, and it goes back to what I mentioned earlier, is you looking at your conversion rates from inquiry, basically all the way down to deposit and seeing how those trends are playing against each other. Because what you have to be able to figure out is how strong is your pool? You know, what are the other factors that you're looking at to show that that student is engaged? How many times are they responding or opening up an email, for example? And then you get your bucket list. And I, I know that, um, you know, we all have our different bucket lists, but mine is pretty simple. You have an A, they're coming no matter what. Mm -hmm. Your C, more than likely they're not going to come no matter what. But you have your B. It's that student, that group that you can influence. The place where you can influence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So how are you how are you engaging your work around that group and how are you focusing on that group and how do you identify who's in that group? I mean, we all have different ways of doing that. Right. And you're you're talking about sort of like points of no return, leading indicators and segmenting your students. Right. Like that's a really organized way of solving a problem that feels otherwise really big and scary because I I would really like the audience to hear I'm, I'm glad the audience heard how you ordered that because I think there's a lot of strategy to that. There's a lot of intentionality to that. And I have witnessed leaders at times, enrollment leaders at times, sort of going from point A to point C, which is like point A, I have a problem and point C, I'm just going to do a bunch of stuff against it. And walking through that point B to you, which is like, here's how I organize my thinking. First, identify the time frame of where I'm at points of no return. Then I identify the metrics that I can use as leading indicators because enrollment has a ton of lagging indicators, but not got a lot of leading ones. You're identifying leading indicators. And then thirdly, you're saying, and if I segment my students, the behaviors will become clear. Like this problem that keeps you up at night doesn't have to be existential. You can actually chip away at this iceberg or get little manageable bites to chew. And I think that's a really cool framework to bring. And like that sort of really segues into the conversation that we're here to have, which is around sort of application and numbers. And I want you to sort of go back to talk a little bit about the difference between sort of like admissions and enrollment management and the difference between enrollment management and strategic enrollment management, because you just brought in some strategic enrollment management stuff. And I think a bunch of folks here are like still in the admissions only part of their journey. Right. And I'm curious if you can share a little bit more with the audience about like how you view those maybe those three things as different um, at this at this moment in your career? So, you know, first of all, I think that the number one thing we all need to realize is admissions is just one piece mm -hmm. of enrollment management. Enrollment management is part of strategic enrollment management. So the way you frame that question in that order is the way I would just, you know, and we didn't even rehearse this, Emily. We didn't even talk about this part. We don't rehearse anything on the show. <laughs> But we, you know, we, we we talk about the order of events and things. And, you know, I, I show this chart in front of uh, my team. And this is one of the first things I've done at, at multiple institutions or when I'm out consulting and, and doing consulting work is we vision ourselves as operational. I mean, we all serve certain functions mm -hmm. in the job that we do. So if you think about enrollment management, uh, you know, enrollment management is the operations of the work. We 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 give out financial aid. We make admission decisions. Uh, we add students to we register students for classes. Um, there's a lot of things that's enrollment management where the strategy side of it, where it becomes different is it's really a focus on the entire student life cycle from the time that a student raises their hand to the time that they graduate and everything that you're doing in between. And one of the, the terms that we use a lot, uh, and I say we, because I believe my team, you know, we are all on the same page is that you want to recruit a student to graduate that student. The financial aid that you give when you recruit a student needs to be good enough to make sure that that student can graduate. There's a lot of thought that goes into that. Mm. There's different types of students. And, you know, the other thing I think is when you're being strategic and you have a plan and you're updating your campus, both you're going up to senior level staff and down, you're consistent with everything that you're doing. And, um, you know, that really helps calms the nerves and also the strategy side of it. You People actually see that. 
Yeah. And actually what you're, yeah, what you're talking about for like the whole student life cycle is really interesting when we overlay it with like the topic that we're sort of talking around a lot right now, which is application generation in this season. And it might feel weird to the audience that we might be talking about like retention in terms of application generation, but Boyd, you've got a really keen perspective because you own all of these things, a really keen perspective on like thinking about affinity, fit, quality, persistence before students even apply. And I'm curious, like given the time timeline of where we are, like how, how do you do both of these things and how would you recommend that a, an admissions team do both of these things right now, which is like the hard, rock and hard place of like, it's winter, we might need more applications. And yet we also need applications of a certain affinity fit quality right. ability to persist. Like what's your mindset around there of that? Well, I think you, you sort of said it is that you have to understand your success of students that are currently enrolled at your institution. Oh, because, like why they're successful? Yeah, yeah. The How outcome. do you put that to data? Yeah, 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 tell me more. Yep. So one of the things I think is, is that outcome piece. And so we attract very similar students each year and year out. And, and many of us as colleges and universities are creatures of habit. You know, we, we tend to go out with the same recruitment tactics. Many of us. <laughs> uh, yeah. Sorry. Well, All of you. And I think one of the things that uh, we, if we understand that behavior, so if a student enrolls, they're admitted and based on you know, how we rate that student. And if we're using, you know, predictive modeling, you know, trying to predict the likelihood that that student enrolled, we also have to connect it to the likelihood of retention and completion. And we know if we bring this student in, they're going to come here to Towson. Now, we're not perfect at this. You know, we're looking at the data on a regular basis. The likelihood of that student being successful in graduating, you know, many students don't graduate in four years. They might graduate in five. So the profile of that five-year student, that six-year student, that kind of helps us build our class. When we're building a class at Towson, we talk about new students because it's an important part, but we talk about overall enrollment because there's so many other factors, you know, and I think a lot of us spend a lot of resources to get a student in the door and to get them on campus, but we're not spending the resources to keep that student. And so we try to connect all the dots and we, we really focus on that from a data standpoint. Gotcha. So how do you, think about how you spend your team's time um, given given this season. Like, what's your mental model about how you drive the behaviors of your different teams? Because your different teams include admissions, financial aid, teaching and learning, all of retention. Like, how do you, how do you decide how, how, your, how your teams spend their time? So, you know, in my role here, you've mentioned it, I got all the different areas that you need for the, the life cycle of a student. That's a dream job for an enrollment manager because you have direct control of that message across campus, but you have to get your team to work together. And so we focus really hard on that in our, the way uh, we meet as a team. And so we do have our director leadership team. So we have the registrar, the director of financial aid, mm-hmm. director of advising retention and completion, our director of our tutoring and learning center and our director of admissions all sitting together talking about this on a regular basis. And what I try to do with my team is to challenge them to think about other areas. So as the admissions director, how does the admission decisions that I make affect you as the director of advising? It could be when you admit students, 
timeliness of the transition, who's to hand off to. I mean, so we're trying to understand each other's areas to come up with a more of a seamless plan in order to be successful. And uh, I think that really works uh, in the environment. Um, you know, successful enrollment is not just admitting a strong class. Everybody wants a strong class. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, that's right. But if you're having a bad year, you don't have as many students, there's other ways to make that up. And the thing is, with me and my role, is just making sure that the campus understands that we're looking at various things. You know, we have a spring class that we do fairly well on the transfer side. That contributes to that next fall's class because you're retaining those students for a couple more years. And so getting the campus to also understand that and getting the team to understand that that's another piece of the puzzle uh, helps tremendously. Thank you for pulling the curtain back on like how that works functionally at at Towson, because I think a lot of institutions who are typically I observe this institutions who are struggling more for, for enrollment where the problems get like bigger and louder and you sort of like it, it everyone starts to protect their own areas. And what you are sh sharing are like the ways that we can be vulnerable cross functionally can help in overall enrollment, because that like even that culture around sharing or like that perspective of like the different level levers we can pull, whether it's like, you know, retaining students or the spring class, like all of those things help overall enrollment. And I, and I would just challenge everyone listening to think about the ways in which like we get that sort of closed protective mindset. If you're admissions only going like, OK, screw it. All I can do is get these applications and then I'm just going to throw them over the fence. Like institutionally, that creates some unhealth that will come and bite you in the ass later. Um, okay, so you came up through admissions and you are now an enrollment, a strategic enrollment leader across all of these different areas. I'm curious, um, and you have shared with this group and congratulations that you're up in app numbers. Given that, what are you telling your director of admission to do right now? Like given that you are up and yet you're saying like, and we still have to watch every day, mm -hmm. what are you telling your uh, director of admission to do right now? Keep, I mean, what, one of the things is, and we talked a little bit about this, the care. I'm trying to show care because the team is exhausted. Yeah. And that is, that is okay. And so that's one of the things that I, I talked to her about is, is we do a kind of a, a status check on how the team is doing. Like their and, actual morale? Yes. Yes. Hmm. So sure. Uh, we're also reading files. You know, we haven't, we've admitted our first group. And so I, I think you know, really to think about the purpose of our job and why we're doing it. And it's really is about the student and trying to focus more on the student than about the work that we're doing. I think if you start thinking about the impact you make on each and every student that's part of your applicant pool, uh, it will help you get through it. Um, and so that's one of the strategies that we use. The other thing is, you know, we need to project out. And so one of the, you know, we can get excited about the moment, but what is it going to look like around May 1? And so really having an understanding of how we trend out from this point forward and we're having conversations about that. It goes back again to the enrollment funnel, you know, looking at our, our enrollment funnel, what types of students do we have? Do we think that they're going to come, the conversion is going to be greater at each stage of the funnel. Uh, we're looking at the data. We're not sitting back and just being happy with what we have. Mm. And, um, you know, depending on, what we see, you know, again, it goes back to the data. Um, and, you know, we're also getting ready to make scholarship decisions. And so we kind of focus our attention to that. And so, you know, we're having conversations about that as well. 
Yeah, something you and I were texting about yesterday as we got ready for the show, and this is like such a superior question you sort of posed, which is like a, a starting place is to understand, is the pool strong enough to meet the goals? And that is, I think, such a lovely question to ground in when you're evaluating application generation in this season, particularly for a couple of reasons. One, is the pool strong enough to meet the goals? assumes that you have goals and not all institutions do. So if you don't have them, like, geez, Louise, you need them. It's really amazing to me on a weekly basis how many enrollment leaders I talk to who do not know their goals or cannot communicate them to their team. And that is like the biggest first problem to go solve, first principle problem to go solve. But is the pool strong enough to meet the goals, I think, is also a non-judgmental way to figure out what levers you need to pull, regardless if you're up or down. And the next question I want to ask you is like, okay, what would you be telling your admission director if application numbers were down right now? And I know that you'll start with that question of like, okay, is the pool strong enough to meet the goals? Okay, no. And then what? Like what's next for you in that in that level of thinking? It goes back to that B plan that you mm. talked about. You know, we get to a certain point and we're not up. So you go to that B plan. Now within that B plan, I mean, what I would tell my director is we have a lot of time. I mean, students don't make decisions until spring, you know, mm -hmm. closer to May 1, if you focus on May 1, and some make the decisions after May 1. Let's find out who those students are. September 1st. Yeah, sure. Yeah, let's find out who those students are. And I think it also goes back to measuring, again, you know, your A, B, and Cs. Do we have a lot more Bs in the pool than we have had in the past? And really focusing on yield. I think you have to turn your attention to yield. It's not always additional to app generation. Heck, by this point, you know, by December 1, you know, there's going out and trying to find students that have not even thought about you. You know, some schools automatically do that no matter what. You know, we might have to do that, but the data would tell us whether we need to do that or not. You know, what are we doing to engage students over the holidays? We just actually today had a meeting with our College of Education dean and her staff. And they're up. They're up a lot. And education is one of those areas that we're all mm -hmm. struggling, attracting students going into education. She wants to take full advantage of that. Well, we have a plan. They want to advert from the plan and start doing something right now. Guess what? It's almost the holidays. People are not going to be making decisions. They might be talking about college, but they're not going to be making decisions. We have time to really think through that plan and not just react because we're seeing a certain number. And I think that's the one thing that I would tell my director, whether we're up or down, don't react. We've got to continue doing what we're doing. We talk about that in sales, actually, we, when, when you're selling software or whatever you're selling, like there's a phrase that I don't think has made its way into admissions yet. And it's called happy ears. Yes. And when you get happy ears in a call and like you come, come off of a call and you're like, yeah, I just talked to somebody and they're going to buy this thing. And like, we should do X, Y, and Z. And it's like, hang on. What did we actually, like, were we reacting to someone smiling at us? Are we reacting to this like big sense of application numbers? Like, what does it actually mean? What does the data say? And what are the behaviors that we want to go do because of the real things at play? Not just like the thing that we saw that felt really good, that sort of juiced us up in that moment. And I think your perspective on like threading that needle to like the care of the human and knowing that you impact students lives but also knowing that you're not like a brain surgeon saving lives that allows you to get really clean on like the behaviors that then you would go direct the team to do and i'm hearing you also say in a moment where applications are potentially down 
you might need to run a B plan, like a plan B, second plan with your B students, which are your influenceable students, Right. like figure out who they are and figure out what they need. Um, right. And I'm hearing that really clearly as like a way to diagnose the problem and then go figure out a set of behaviors. And I think cool. and one thing I want to say, too, I think that's important is, you know, coming up from admissions and it could be like if I came up through financial aid is allowing your director of admissions to do their job. I mean, it's hard sometimes for me not to preach. Yeah. Not to put my hand in it because I've been there. I've done it. And that respect between that, those two roles are so important between your vice president for enrollment versus your director of admissions or if it's financial aid, you know, depending on what your background is, you've got to allow your staff to do their job. You can't. Now they'll come to me if they have questions. I will come to go to them if I have questions, but I'm very careful on how I do that. Yeah. What a good mindset. Yeah. We talked a lot about sort of conscientious comportment in ways that you can like manifest the right energy to drive good behaviors of your team. And that sort of level of trust is a really important part of it too. Right. Um, So audience, we've got five or so minutes left in the show. I want to ask Boyd one more question, but I also know that there are a great number of people here who may have questions for you, Boyd, and I don't want to like be the only one who gets to ask you questions. So audience, like this is a live show. It's happening. If you have questions for Boyd, um, please type them into the LinkedIn comments. We will see them. They will make their way to us. Um, and Boyd, I asked you a lot of like tough questions around doom and gloom, sort of like what keeps you awake at night and what you're going to go do about it. You've shared a lot of mental models and frameworks about like how you, how you make decisions and how you drive behaviors in your team. But what are you excited and hopeful about over the next chapter? Like bring us some holiday cheer, man. I've got some. Talk to me. I'm looking for time off just like everybody else, you know, nice. and not, you know, be able to step away and get re-energized. Um, you know, one thing that's very unique to me, and I think, you know, any of us enrollment leaders would say this is probably one of the most fascinating things to deal with is when you have a son or daughter that is ready for college. And I have a senior and she has her top seven schools. I'm trying to stay out of her business, just like I stay out of the business of the director of admissions. But it's very, very difficult. And so I'm actually looking forward to, to assessing where she's at in her thought process um, as well. Thank goodness Towson is one of seven. But, you know, we're trying to your, really... Your wallet thanks you. We're really wanting her to make the decision. So that that's something that I'm really important, that, that I'm excited. You know, if you think about the work that we do, um, you know, I mentioned, you know, we talked about working out. You know, I get excited about mm-hmm. working out. And I get excited about when it's baseball season, because, you know, I'm a fanatic. So I try to keep those things in my forefront because that helps me keep moving forward uh, as we're dealing with what we're dealing with at work, you know, on the work side and the work that we do. And I know you have some technology type background as well. And some of the work that you've done is we're year one in slight and, you know, so excited about that project being behind us. Mm, yeah, a CRM implementation is a tough road yeah, to hoe for sure. Towards that, but uh, that has been quite the experience for all of us, and we have a great team, and they're doing a great job. So it's exciting. Um, that is really exciting. I'm really excited for your family. I'm actually like literally picturing you like walking into your house where your family is home, and I'm picturing your internal dialogue going. Be cool, be cool, be cool, be cool, be cool, be cool, be cool. Like, like to not blow up your daughter about like what her plans are and what she's thinking, because that would be very hard for me. So I'm projecting my own issues onto you. But I'm I'm really impressed to hear that you are trying to trust her and to be cool. And I'm also really loving that you're like bringing this 
very human and well-rounded aspect to your, like how I can be successful in work is when I recharge and when I trust my team and I model that so they can do that and trust that in himself and in, in themselves. Um, you have a, you have a fan. This is not, well, I guess this is a question. This is, um, is Boyd accepting new mentees? There is so much more I want to dive into. And that's from my friend, Jeremy Wood, who is a frequent visitor of our show. Hello, Jeremy. Um, so maybe not so much of a question, um, as much as a fan, but maybe that's a question for you, Boyd, like where, where do you hang out? Where can the people get more of you? Well, they can find me at B Bradshaw at Towson edu but i'm 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 available i mean I, I i feel like you know the mentoring part of the work that we do is so important and i had great mentors to get me to where i'm at today and so i'm always willing to have conversations and help and you know actively presenting at different conferences as well so you can find me at most major conferences but also just you know reach out you know reach out to on linkedin as well and um i'm happy to help i don't have every idea and to be honest with you every conversation i have I gain as much wealth of information as people are gaining from the work that we do. So sweet growth mindset. Yeah. Um, well, that's, that's it for today's show. Boyd, I could talk to you for like a hundred years. So I'm sort of sad to like call it at time um, because your frameworks and mental models for thinking about this stuff, application generation and enrollment management in general are so super helpful for this audience. I really appreciate it. Um, folks, we'll be here next week um, with uh, Joel Bauman, who's the VP of Enrollment Management at Duquesne University. Joel and I are going to reprise, reprise an oldie but goodie about prospect management, um, which is potentially, if you've been in this space a long time, it's something you maybe haven't heard about for a long time, but um, a fundamental that is still really, really important. So we'll be chatting with him next Thursday. Also, if you're new to College Vine and you want to know more about College Vine, we're doing a workshop on Tuesday next week, so 12-12 at 3 p.m. Eastern time. Um, about how to create your College Vine profile, connect with students for free, um, maybe solve some of your funnel problems by getting some really high affinity students and inquiries into your funnel. Um, you can sign up on College Vine and recruit students for free. So if you're not familiar with us, next Tuesday, 12-12 uh, at 3 p.m. Eastern would be a great opportunity to just get, like, get exposed and really quickly get onboarded to find new students for you. Um, Boyd, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you. Well, it's great to be here. And now that I know Joel is going to be there next week, I will be watching. Awesome. You can um, even come on and heckle him. We've had some hecklers in the past, so please join and heckle. Um, humans, thank you so much for being here on the Vine Down. Again, we'll see you next week. I appreciate everyone's time. I know it's a busy, crazy time of year. I will encourage you to like maintain present presence in your moment with your families, with your staff, with your teams. Take good care of yourself. Drink water. Go get some fresh air. And we'll see you next week. Thanks, Boyd. See ya. Yep.